Hello everyone, it's Louis and I'm happy to announce that we have a delightfully sweet treat of a podcast for you as we talk about Copper Blue by Sugar. Did you like my terrible joke? I hope so, because that might tempt you to keep listening as I go deep on why I am so in love with this wonderful record. If you like what you hear, feel free to give us a rating or a review on your platform of choice. Enough of the intro, enjoy the show. I could ask you, what's your favourite type of sugar? Caster. Mm, my favourite is copper blue. Do you see what I did there? I still prefer caster, but I'm a sugar fiend. Well done. Well done for introducing the topic of the show. Yep, so as you would have heard in the intro, and as you would have heard, or as you would have read when you clicked the episode, we are indeed covering the album Copper Blue by Sugar, formed by the legendary singer... Bob Mould from Huskadoo, one of Dave Grohl's very favourite bands. Like, if you're wondering who Bob Mould is, because I might as well start with a primer. Hmm. If you're not into American alternative rock from the 80s, you're probably thinking, what the fuck is a Bob Mould when it's at home? Is that a type of mould? Is it some sort of thing that gets rid of mould? Is it a mould cleaning product? No, Bob Mould is a man. He's a man who, who formed Huskadoo in the 80s at Macalester College. They went on to become an incredibly influential hardcore punk band. As I say, Dave Grohl fucking loves them. You've probably heard them, because you've almost certainly heard of the Foo Fighters. Bob Mould appeared on the song Dear Rosemary from the 2011 record Wasting Light. Um, He's the second voice in the chorus where he goes, This was no ordinary lie. That's Bob Mould. That's my Bob Mould impression. Thank you. Very nice. I will try not to do any more of those because I fucking love Bob Mould and I don't want to denigrate his beautiful name. (laughs) But yeah, that's where you might have heard the man's voice. And that's the first time I heard Bob Mould of any kind. That's the first time I heard anything. To, I'd heard the name Huskadoo yeah. a lot, but I never heard any of their records. I never heard any of their songs, but I heard him on the Foo Fighters record. And I thought, oh, this guy's got an interesting sort of timbre to his voice. At some point, I probably should listen to more of his music. I then forgot to do that for many years. <laughs> then obviously, once internet streaming became much more prevalent, I started going down the rabbit hole of things like I have heard... Huskadoo, Zenon Case, fucking great. Listen to Huskadoo. Yeah. All right. After Huskadoo split up, and I don't want to dwell on this because it's pretty grim. It's a very acrimonious split. Mm. So I'm not going to, I don't want to sit and muckrake. We're not a gossip podcast. After they split, he released two solo records um, Workbook, 1989, and Black Sheets of Rain. I have a horrible feeling I've said that wrong. Black Sheets of Rain in 1990. I don't know if you've heard those records, but just nope. in case you haven't, just in case you haven't, um, they're very interesting records. Workbook's a little bit more acoustic-y. There's a song on it that I really, really love. Ironically, it is the most popular one on Spotify. It's called See a Little Light. Okay. It's a fucking beautiful song. I love it. I haven't heard the other one, but I hear it's very good. And then after that, he forms the power, He forms another power trio, because Huskadoo is a power trio. He goes on to form a power trio called Sugar. Now, the reason they're called Sugar is super, like, ridiculous it's it's so silly i'll let the man speak myself i guess it all started in 1990 when i was wrapping up the tour for black sheets of rain i've been a solo artist for two records and i had a great rhythm section with uh, the drummer anton fia who played with the feelies and the golden palominos and he was a very gifted player and i learned a lot from him tony mamone was on bass and he was another original cleveland musician and he was a huge influence on me playing in such great bands 
had a great rhythm section, but for me it was getting to be financially hard to keep the show on the road. I let those guys go and early in 91 I let my management company go after finding out some weird shenanigans had been going on that I wasn't aware of and ended up costing me a lot of money. Mm. Oh look, a musician getting fucked over by management. Never happens. Well, this is... Happened this one time. It's happened this one time. It never happened again or before. Now, 1991, there was some band called Nirvana. I don't know if you've heard of them. It rings a bell. They got quite successful. Yes. They were another band, again, Dave Ross and Nirvana, heavily influenced by Husker Du, as were the Pixies, who, um, when they auditioned Kim Deal for the band, she responded to an advert that literally said, "Fan looking for a fan of like Husker Du. Nice. Yeah. There's a song on this record that is overtly referencing the Pixies, but we'll get to that. I'll continue with this little, um, I'll continue with Mr. Mould's description. In the spring of 1991, the only thing that I really have is the ability to go out and play solo acoustic shows. I set out for about nine months of solid touring doing Oof. that and going around America. I was living in Brooklyn at the time, so I'd rent a car and drive around the East Coast playing acoustic shows every night. I was writing a lot of new material, so I'd go and play these songs to try them out in front of people, and I was able to gauge what was working, what wasn't. In nine months of that in America. Yeah. He went to Europe in the summer of 1991. He was opening for Dinosaur Junior. People weren't as much into that. But interestingly, that period allowed him to write all this material. He wrote about 30 songs for what would eventually become the record Copper Blue. Mm. Obviously, there are not 30 songs on the record. Well, you picked the best ones out. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He was targeting record companies and... The first person who honestly wanted to really get into it, he said he describes it, is Alan McGee of Creation Records. Now, Alan McGee is a name that you may have you may think, okay, he's just some suit. Understandable. He's the guy who signed Oasis. Creation Records is a big deal. Fair. Okay. Creation Records is, <laughs> I a, you. is a thing that matters. So yeah. Um, Creation Records, Alan McGee, um, Alan McGee signs them. He then recruits David Barb who he met through mutual friends in Athens, Georgia. Athens, Georgia, you may be aware, um, R.E.M.? Yes, yes, I was actually. <laughs> yeah. So he reaches out to him, plays him some demos, and then he gets Malcolm Travis on the drums, who's in a band called The Zulus, who he actually produced the record for them in 1988, weirdly enough. And Mal- I, I, I'm going to go fucking ham. Malcolm Travis's drumming is fucking amazing on this record. I fucking love Malcolm Travis's playing on this. So they get together in January 1992. They spend three weeks rehearsing in Athens for some recording sessions. Bob says, it wasn't a band at that point, but what made it a band was before we were ready to leave Athens and head to Massachusetts to record the songs. Barry Green, he was a booker at the 40 Watt Club in Athens, he asked them to fill a last minute vacancy and play a show. And they thought, sure, why not? Of course, they haven't actually called it themselves anything. So the three of us and Bob's then partner, who was on the management side of things, were eating at a Waffle House and there was a pack of sugar on the table, and that's why, that is why they're called sugar. There's no sort of special, like, pet name thing, it's literally because they saw a packet of sugar and just went, fuck it. <laughs> we need a name and we need it now. Yeah. Huskadu is Swedish for do you remember? A little bit more intellectually rigorous. <laughs> now, Huskadu, as influential as they were, other bands that came after them had way more success. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The Pixies and Nirvana being two of the more obvious ones. The Pixies, even by the standards of Nirvana, had very little success. However, the Pixies, when the Pixies reformed, they were twice, three times bigger than they probably ever were at the time. Mm. Now, this record, Copper Blue, is the most successful record that Bob Mob was ever involved with. Okay. 
the interesting thing is, this feels like the most forgotten record. I'd never heard of it. And I had heard separately of Bob Mole's solo career and his career, obviously, yeah. in the last... I'll, I'll be honest, in like, since I moved to England, so the last the five UK, years, but still... In the UK alone, this is the biggest record that he was ever involved with. That's really interesting, because I, I, I hadn't Easily. heard of it until you mentioned it the Easily other week. But for whatever reason, cultural ignorance, people being shit, people having no taste, this record has essential... I feel like it's... I had no idea it existed until, what, 2017? I didn't even know it existed. And then it was casually mentioned on something, and I gave it a listen because I liked the sound of it, and I just fell head over heels for it. Yeah. I I couldn't believe uh, this record is just... I feel this record has literally been forgotten. Yeah, and like in my very brief... I try not to do very much research because I'm more interested in what your take on it is, but I did see that in 92 was NME's album of the year. So it's interesting, although lots of things win things and then get forgotten about, but... Yeah, uh, you know, King's X, Album of the Year in Kerrang, 1988. Yes. Like, another... uh, um, I don't want to beat around the bush too much. Um, If you didn't know, Bob Mould is a gay man, if you didn't know that. Mm. He wasn't out at the time of this record. He came out a couple of years later. uh, Spin Magazine, he did an interview with Spin Magazine, he came out. But here's an interesting... Here's a little interesting quote about how Copper Blue might have actually got somewhere. Music is such a circular thing. When Nevermind came out, that album changed the way people listen to music. A lot of the songs that I've been writing in 1991 led up to my next group, Sugar. And had it not been for Nevermind, I don't know if Copper Blue would have stood a chance in 92. But people were now receptive to this sound. Mm. I mean, yeah, I totally see that. Yeah. I completely see that. How, How can you not? The biggest record in the world sound, you know, is fucking never mind. Yeah, of course. So anything that's going to sound even vaguely like it, which this record does sound vaguely. It's in the wheelhouse, yeah. It's in the wheelhouse. Personally, I think a lot of it's actually better than never mind, but that's... A At tip. this point in my life, yeah, probably. Oh, I, I, I assumed the first time I heard it, I went, yeah. I, yeah. I, if I had to, if I have to be a controversial Charles or, you know, a controversial Kevin, that's right. <laughs> Kevin with a C. You know, I'm doing some sweet alliterations for you, everyone. Ooh, how exciting. But if I but I'm not trying I don't say things with controversy. I genuinely prefer most of this record to Nevermind. And I really like Nevermind. Yeah. But I prefer this to it because I I've completely fallen head over heels in love with Bob Mould's songwriting. I I also think having not listened to this um very much and having listened to Nevermind for like, you know, fifteen years now, they're in the same wheelhouse, but they're not really that similar if you're kind of talking about within that genre. I think genre. this is more musically interesting than Nevermind. Yeah. I also think there's a brightness to this yes. that isn't on Nevermind. Yeah. Um, like there's just a different energy kind of to it Yeah, that is very notable to me. Yeah. I will say the one thing Nevermind absolutely beats the shit out of it on is the cover art. The cover art for Copper Blue is not the most exciting thing in the world. <laughs> I mean... The S and the C of the word sugar and copper blue are sort of not finished. They're sort of cut off by the edge of the sleeve. I don't know why. It makes no sense to me. It confuses my eyes. I, I don't support it. Graphic I, design is my passion, etc., yeah. etc. That's basically the only actual criticism I'm ever going to give of this album. <laughs> like, that. that's it. It's not even the actual record or anything to do. It's a fucking random design choice from an album sleeve. So that's the negatives out of the way. So 
The Enemy, as you mentioned, gave it Album of the Year in 1992. Other popular records that would have come out that year, especially the big ones, I mean, one of the really big ones of that year would have been, especially in the alternative rock space, Automatic for the People by R.E.M. Ooh! In the battle of the gay alternative rock icons, uh, Bob Mould is the winner. Yeah. Sorry, Michael, you didn't win this As time. someone with a, like an ongoing list of like LGBTQ celebrities, uh, these are two that I found out because of you recently, So, which is a, a crying shame. I mean, I could spend the rest of this podcast just destroying your yeah, my soul ignorance. about yeah. how it, uh, I still do not understand how you managed to avoid Michael Stipe as gay. I, I just don't I know, know how you managed to do that. I knew he was an environmentalist and was in R.E.M. and that's my entire knowledge of Michael Stipe, so <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Oh dear. Alright, so in the Enemy's review, which I believe is actually written by Steve Lamack, who is now of course a well-known radio DJ. Oh, okay. It's been for a very long time. Copper Blue is a great jumble of questions and realisations. The now well-owned mould character traits are everywhere. His underlying cynicism, the ongoing mistrust of people, and the bits where his head sounds like it's about to explode. <laughs> accurate. Very accurate. The album was produced by Mould himself, but also co-produced with Lou Giordano. He'd been a live engineer for Husker Du towards mm. the end. Ten tracks, about 45 minutes. Six other songs ended up on this sort of like EP released afterwards called Beaster. It's a very interesting. It sounds a bit different. It's not. It's not really got the hooks per se. Yeah. It's a different, slightly different sort of sound. It's very enjoyable. But if you are coming here for the for the hooks, if you're coming here for the catchy as fuck alternative rock songwriting, mm, you might want to take a second before you listen to that. Yeah. Anyway, so the album starts with the act we act. That's not me just like tripping over my words. It's the act we act. A fucking great opener. Mm. I, I'm a huge fan of the chorus. I'm a huge fan of the. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the vocal stylings and the chorus in particular. I'm a big fan of people doubling and harmonising their own vocals. Yeah, big fan. I'm a particular fan of. I mentioned before I was never the biggest lyrics guy mm. in the past. Like if I'd heard this record when I was like 15, literally none of the lyrics would have made sense to me. They would have just been patterns for me to sing along to. Where are all the tasty riffs? Like I, I, it's not even that. It would have mm. been. I would still would have enjoyed the record, but I, I would not have even blinked at the lyrics. Sure. They literally just been words that follow each other. I would have noticed everything else, but the actual words, anything they meant, would have meant nothing to me. There's a couple of songs in this record that are really obvious what they're about. We'll get to them. There's one or two. There's two in particular that we'll have a lot more in depth discussion about. But the act we act, I really like the opening lyric because it just makes me think and it's just, it might sound you might think that's a stupid thing so it's basically i'm watching you walk as you walk that distant walk to me this is a song about how do i put this this is a song to me and i might be horribly wrong you know this again this is my personal interpretation other songs is a bit more explicit what they're about to me this is a song about sort of not i mean it's you know it's acting an act it's putting on an act it's mm. The act we act is wearing thin. It's it's about trying to pretend to be someone you're not. Sure. I don't know if you had because I know you've had a listen. I don't know if yeah. you got that vibe. I, I I think it can be that. I think that it, and I think there's about a lot of the songs in the album that you can interpret it in kind of 
two different ways like that I would call it like that's like the individual in yeah. like the relationship I have with myself if yeah. you know what I mean and then you can also kind of look at it in like a the relationship I have with someone else yeah like the act we act could yeah. it equally be like what we're as a couple pretending to be yeah uh you know the royal we yeah. not Louis and me we the podcast yeah. will continue <laughs> yeah <laughs> I nearly went full Seth Rogen on that laugh there well done very nice <laughs> anyway yeah so it's a fucking great song it's an it's a fucking great song um i'm gonna say i'm just gonna say this now the rhythm section's great as well because mm. otherwise i'm just gonna say every song oh the rhythm section's really good i like the bass playing they're a very tight band yeah it's a very tight unit you follow that with the song a good idea which is the opening bass part is so it's such a fucking nod and a wink to the pixies <laughs> It's it's so paying it back, paying it for whatever phrase you want to use. I honestly was expecting fucking Kim Deal to be credited as playing that part. It's ridiculous. It's yeah. To me, the lyrics of the song, I honestly think it's about murdering someone. <laughs> uh, um, I think it's a. I, um, again, like, I think it's about like fucking throwing someone in the water or something. Again, this might I might be completely misinterpreting it. But that's what it sounds like to me. But my God, is it joy? It feels joyous. Yeah. It might be sarcastic. I think the actual, like, when he's saying, and that's a good idea, that sounds very sarcastic. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would think so, it's yeah. A, it's so, it's very bouncy. It's great fun to fucking jump around to and just shout along at the top of your voice. And I really like that effect on the guitar. I, I really like that a lot. Is it a murder ballad? Well, I say murder ballad. Is it a murder banger? <laughs> Nick Cave's second murder yeah. ballad album, Murder Bangers. That's a good idea. She said, she said. And then it moves on to Changes, another more, slightly more up-tempo song. Mm. Not that, when I say up-tempo, this is not a furious, raging, hardcore punk record in any way. No. Like, the guitar tone is not soft. The guitar tone is... It's not hyper-abrasive either, but it's definitely... It has enough grit to it. Yeah. It has that nice 90s balance, I will say. Yeah. Of kind of not too aggro, but yeah, there, there's some bite to it still. Yeah. There's, it's not got this god-awful, weak, whimpering, crap tone. And Bob Mould is not exactly being shrinking violet either. No. I, I, there's nothing I hate more than a great power pop type song with a absolutely piss weak guitar tone yeah so I think why have you even got a guitar there you might as well just replace it with a synth yeah and I will say like of the of the kind of the wheelhouse of bands we're talking about I, I do tend to really like that broad sound and like that kind mm. of production and guitar tone mm. that comes in that 90s alt rock sort of sphere yeah. mm. and this is a really perfect encapsulation of that yeah what do you think of the song Helpless I like the song Helpless. I I don't have a strong feel on like a deeper meaning necessarily to mm. it. But uh, like I just watched the video like right before we recorded. Yeah, <laughs> um, the umbrellas. And yeah, and it, it is, <laughs> but it's, again, it's hard to talk about this album without repeating myself because I do just think they're all like real well-crafted like little chunks of songwriting. Yeah. Um, and so if we're just talking about quality of like pop song yeah. writing, it's hard to 
It's like, not that you can't differentiate the songs, yeah. but the, it, there's not enough difference in quality, if yeah. you know what I mean, which is a good thing. You want yeah. all your shit to be high quality, but there isn't enough in quality for me to be like, ah, yes. So without repeating myself, I just, um, it, it's just a real sweet yeah. si- single almost. It yeah. was a single, wasn't it? I pre- yeah. If there was a video, it must have been a single, but yeah. yeah. I love Helpless. I think it's great. It's, it slows the pace down a little bit. I think I, I love that chorus so much. Mm. I love it. it it's... Oh, it's, this is uh, I, I I know I've said it before I'm gonna say it again I fucking love I love a sing song yeah I do I, I you know if you have a hook that I can sing along to I'm willing to forgive a lot if it's everything else is rubbish which is not the case here everything on this album is fucking wonderful yeah but you love a big chorus yeah th- th- I, I put this in the full on like lost classics yeah oh yeah this is you know there's another record that at some point we will do it's not going for a little while because I want to vary the pot. There's another record that would absolutely fit in a lost classic sense. I've realised this would, you know, this out of the silent plat by King's X to me are in the same category of lost classics. Soundwise, they're not. No. You're not getting the three part harmonies that you'll get in King's X. You're not getting the level of complexity with the music, and also you're not getting the religious themes as much. But I would put them in the same bracket as things that you should listen to because they're fucking brilliant and they are from set people who are from marginalised communities. Mm. And I think even people within those marginalised communities don't even realise that these records exist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and like again, that's me just speaking for myself. Not, yeah. <laughs> not as yeah. speaking for other people, but certainly I didn't know about either of those records until you told me about them. Yeah. So. Then you move on to oh, just I love the album up to this point, but fucking hell, does the record just boot off at this point? If you thought the first bits of this record were good, Hoover Dam is just like, oh, let me let me just uh, take the let me just take all the good stuff and make it even better. Yeah, I I will oh say I did God. notice like it's all very very good, but I I did kind of notice myself keen and slightly more at this point. That fucking hook. That fucking chorus hook, standing on the edge of the hoover that has been in my head for years and years and years. I love this song so much. This mm. is legitimately, I'm not going to say it's my favourite song. I, 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 I straight up, if you listen to this song and you don't like it, we can't be friends. <laughs> I'm serious. What is there not to like about this? It's got a gorgeous hook. It has interesting instrumentation because you start bringing in shit like harpsichord and stuff. Mm, yeah, I, I, that, I think that's what made me notice this one, yeah. like the shift, because it, it was more than just like the, yeah. the very tight three-piece. Yeah. Uh, I believe Bob Mould plays those instruments on it. Mm. It's a gorgeous song. I might be wrong. I first thought it was about like trying to commit suicide or thinking about committing suicide by mm. jumping off the Hoover Dam because you used to be able to drive along the Hoover Dam. Oh, okay. I don't think you can anymore, but for a long time you could literally just drive across it. don't think you can anymore, but I also think it might actually be about like being at crossroads in your life. Okay. I might be wrong. Yeah, no, but it can work on multiple levels as well. I, I think it's a... Sorry, my brain just went a bit funny. Yeah, it's. I think it's a beautiful song, regardless of whether it's about... Even if it literally just on a super basic level, just standing on a fucking dam and, you know, having a big old emotional sing song. Like, even if it was just about that, this song is so fucking gorgeous. Mm. And I really like the sort of backmasking shit towards the end of it because I like weird techniques like that. Tell me a bit more about what you mean by that. 
where it starts going like ah yes at the ending yeah yeah no but you know production terms and I do not so alright <laughs> right so the slim is it's about AIDS the, yeah I didn't pick that up at the time but... the slim it turns out I didn't know this but the slim was like an old slang term okay for it yeah that makes sense now I didn't know this for a long time I didn't actually find this out until fairly recently um, I didn't know I straight up had no idea this was a song about AIDS but this song is the to me the emotional centrepiece of the record in terms of mm. in terms of the song that would provoke the most emotional response it is this yeah this song is powerful this song when you know the context before you know the context is pretty hard hitting because you can he's getting so yeah. into it but if you when you know the context the last verse like the last set of lyrics is fucking devastating mm, i suppose i need to go back and learn them see them in context now see i mean the last lyrics are basically reciting like the things you recite at a marriage they are mm. genuinely like look it up um <laughs> i'm not saying that for effect like yeah i'll let mr mold speak for himself so the slim is about the aids epidemic it was pretty visceral the slim is what aids was called before it was called aids the song's fictional and based on the experience of so many other people at the time, I didn't fully understand those 10 years of grief. I saw it, but I walked through it. I wasn't touched by it as much as other people that I knew, and especially people that I've come to know since, who have lost dozens and dozens of people. I was writing from a sort of visceral, accidental and naive spot, and it wasn't informed by years of experience. It was just observation. Observation and feelings. As far as responsibility goes, no. I didn't write it to be anything other than an emotional song that just happened. At the time, as I say, he wasn't out. Mm. He was out by the time Sugar actually put out their second record, okay. File Under Easy Listening. So he was out about four years before Rob Halford, just after Roddy Bottom from Faith and then more. I mean, you could assume, if you didn't know, that it wasn't written about a specific individual. You could assume that it was. Sure. Because it's it's devastating. The ending of the song, I, you can feel the rage and pain and almost disgust that the AIDS ep- epidemic was allowed to get to the state that it got mm. in America. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not here to I'm not here to talk about the politics of it all because I simply do not know enough about how um, the American administration dealt with it. I know a bit, but I would not even pretend to claim to have the knowledge authority mm. to pontificate about what they could or should have done. It's not my place to do that. But it is my place to say that it's worth learning about. Yeah, and there are lots of very knowledgeable people yep. speaking and writing on it um, yep. as a history that is certainly worth your time. Yep, I would also say that this, like, if you if you happen to know someone who has passed from AIDS, this song will hit you really hard. It will crush you. Mm. Be I will put that warning out there because it is. I think it's really fucking powerful. Like, it makes me fucking cry. And that was after years of listening to it without knowing that it was about that. Mm. Ooh, uh, it's a beautiful song as well. I think it's an absolutely gorgeous piece of music. And I really like the use of acoustic guitar in it as well. Yeah, so I don't want to get all choked up over it. <laughs> Alright, I'm going to leave it there. My, um, I'm going to leave the talk of that song there. But it's, I think it's a fucking unbelievably powerful piece of music. And even if you only listen to one song from it, I would say either that or the next song, depending on what mood you're in. This next song is as close as you could describe to as a, quote, hit. In terms of, like, popularity of singles or what have you. 
Um, it's called If I Can't Change Your Mind. It's a gorgeous little confection. Yeah. I think it's one of those gorgeous, like, lovely sounding, even if the lyrics aren't necessarily, it's not like the happiest song in the world. Because no. it's but about you know, having, like, arguments and stuff you know if i can't change your mind you know i'll be i'll be better and we'll have if you I, if you won't change your mind like but sonically it's delightful yeah it's so you just want to give someone a hug yeah the lyrics could be about chopping someone's head off and you still want to give someone a hug they, they could be about fucking you know making a bloody terrible disaster of everything you've done and it would still be a delightful romp um, I, I also didn't realise till I went back in because I wanted to watch the video for it before we recorded this um, how catchy it was in the sense it's I, so catchy I, I'm pretty sure I'd only heard it when I listened to the record recently yeah but it felt like um, one of those songs that maybe you saw on Kerrang 50,000 times growing up and just sort of slipped your mind but I know for a fact I'd never heard of this yeah. band before that so the fact that it settled in my brain so quickly yeah as like oh yeah I know this <laughs> I imagine you could have heard, you would have heard, you could have heard this on the radio, easily. I might have, but not to the... No, what I mean is you could have heard it if, like, it was, you know, pushed properly and what have you. Like... Oh, yeah, no, this could have easily been on the radio. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous little song. The interesting thing with the video, now, I'm going to read you a quote. I think people that were connecting with my 90s band Sugar, maybe those are the folks in the community that come to me and say, that work really meant a lot and that video really told us without telling us that you were gay. So, in this video... The reason I asked you to really pay attention to it is because mm. right near the end of it, he holds up a picture of himself yeah. and his partner at the time. He then turns the photo around and says, this is not your parents' world, is written on the back of it. Yeah. So that's a subtle illusion. People picked up on it. Mm. He, he found out that people had, did pick up on that. He also says, um, it was all about same-sex relationships without you having to pronounce. It really left a good impression on us, says Mold. People loved it. I'm guessing the LGBT community picked up on it immediately. I'm guessing some of my fans just thought it was some political statement, some unaffiliated statement, because there was nothing super gay about it. It was a subtle message. It was probably speaking in code maybe a little bit to people still. Mm. Like I say, he... I think it's a beautiful fucking song. I love the lyrics. I I, I really like the chorus. I really... I, it's, I just love this fucking song. Some people moan it's like too poppy. And every single one of them needs to stick their head in but the bin. But it's not like saccharine or anything. No, it's because they hate joy. <laughs> it's true, they hate joy. But yeah, it's not like there are things that I'm like, oh, this is, like I said in the last episode, it's if it feels boring, then yeah. I'm like, oh, this is crap. But this isn't boring pop. This no, is just very all. well-crafted yeah, it's pop. Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. The only people don't like it, dickheads, mate. Dickheads. <laughs> yeah. Went a bit Brent there. Oh. Oh, oh God, you got more Brent when you commented on how Brent you were. Mm-hmm. I don't like this meta level of The Office. Please. <laughs> Please. All right, I'll leave, I'll leave that. Yeah, so after that, you have Fortune Teller, which is another great up-tempo number. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's another absolute rager. I don't, what else do I fucking say about it? I really enjoy it. I love the way it bangs and it just goes along. Then you have Slick. This is probably my least favourite song on it. Okay. And I still love it. It's a bit slower. It's um, it doesn't quite hit me the same way lyrically or musically as the other songs. Fair enough. But that's like saying, oh, you've only given me one slice of really nice pizza instead of two slices of really nice pizza. Still it's still fucking nice pizza. pizza. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's I don't want to do, I I don't want to bang on for hours and hours, but at the same time, I I don't want to ignore things. Mm. It's my least favorite song by like 
fucking default, basically. I'd still have it over almost the entirety of most bands' careers. Yeah. I really, really like the closing song, Man on the Moon, because it's big, spacey, it's all fuzzy. Yeah, I like that a lot. Like... You know, and I, re- I, I just find myself wanting to sing. It's the man on the moon at the top of my voice. Like, it's, it's it almost sounds like a football chant. So, of the Atlanta... Uh, Atlanta. Of the... Of the alternative <laughs> of the... rock gay dudes. Am I, are you, basically... you have a song called Man on the Moon from Georgia. Oh, fuck off. Which wins? <laughs> well, Bob Moore is not actually from Georgia. Like himself. The band began that right. movie. So uh, <laughs> there's too many comparisons to make. Go with okay. me with this. Right. Okay. So you asked me to pick between REM and Sugar. I'm picking Sugar. Well, yeah. Obviously, I agree. I'm picking but Sugar. Sorry, it's sorry, very Michael. amusing to me that that they both have songs called Man the Moon. Yeah. Other sorry, Michael. I am I am picking the Sugar Man. Um, <laughs> I am picking Mr. Mold. You know, I'm being exposed to Mold here, and frankly, uh, that's that's the sort of Mold I want to be exposed to. Now, no matter how many times I say that pun, it just sounds ridiculous, and I love it. And he's probably heard it a million times. And you've been infected with pop tunes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this album managed to somehow get to number 10 in the UK charts. Impressive. Very. For something that no one seems to remember. Yeah, no one fucking remembers this album. I, I genuinely feel, as I said at the start, this album's been fucking memory-holed by, like, the consciousness of the world. Like, it is just gone. Do you have any sense of why that is? Or... No! I have no idea. Because a lot of those bands are still very big. It's not like people were just like, oh, fuck the 90s. I would presu- I would people presu- love the 90s! I would have presumed, after he shows up on... Because he, he's done so many solo records. Like, yeah. if you like this album, he's got a shitload of solo records that you will like. Yeah. shitload of them. He, he put out one last year called Blue Heart fucking great he put out one in 2019 called Sunshine Rock fucking great if you like yeah like Beauty and Room 2014 is also great you might enjoy Workbook as well um, you might enjoy Black Sheets of Rain personally I would just go in on a lot of it I think there's one or two that are like more de- techno and dancey based because he sort of walked away from guitar music for a little while oh okay um, this isn't I don't want this to be like, turn into like a long retrospective of the man's life because that's I want to kind of keep it a little bit I want to kind of keep it to what we're talking about somehow on this album they managed to end up playing Brixton Academy which for those of you who don't live in the London area or who are not familiar with the London area Brixton Academy holds 5,000 people it's a really good place to be in context for bands that we follow if you get to Brixton that's fairly fairly sharp like that again how has this album just been memory hold out of existence (laughs) why do this album just does not exist to so many people who would love it yeah and I mean, part of me is like, it's it's almost 30 years old now, so... But but yeah, that's not an excuse. Never mind, it's 30 years old. I can so. fucking... Do you know what? I can, tell you, I can tell you how it will how kind of get popular. Two ways. One, someone starts using things from it on TikTok videos. That could be us. I don't know which We'd part need to download TikTok and learn how to engage with the youths, but that could be us. So what, like... <laughs> So if, like, if I'm going to indulge this idea for a minute, in order for this to become a TikTok thing, you need to have something that's relevant to one of the lyrics at some point. So for example, I could go to the Hoover Dam and just have... Standing on the edge of the Hoover Dam, And just have that over that. That could work. Because fucking Fleetwood Mac's... Um, oh, what's the one? Is it These Dreams? Dreams. Yeah, Dreams. That became a bit of a thing on TikTok. Oh, did it? Yeah, because there was some guy who did like, a video just skateboarding along with it. 
So that became a TikTok thing for a bit. All right, okay. Yeah, that, that's all it takes. Is one, it just has to pop off once. Like the fucking dude doing those, you know, some say the woman from, you know, that the guy. Shanty boy. Yeah. Yeah. Captain Sea Shanty, whatever his name is. I'm sorry, Mr. Sea Shantyman. I never actually listened to the Sea Shanties, but I know from meme environment that that was a thing. Yeah, every, every fuck has done it. He's got a record deal out of it as well. That's wild. Yeah. So you have that. Uh, the other way you could do it, the other way, and this is a bit more left field, just get Weezer to cover it. Because Weezer are a living meme. Yeah. So if Weezer did a cover of any of these songs, people would go nuts for it because people like Weezer doing silly things. They do. There, I don't think there's the meme ability. No, no, I don't think you get it. Weezer themselves are the meme. That is true. That's how it works. Their cover of Africa is like, I genuinely think more people nowadays have heard that than yeah. the actual song Africa, which but, in itself is a meme. Yeah. No, I suppose, I suppose it has much much like Husker Du influencing the Pixies coming back around again to this as a circular argument. Yeah. Weezer's meme interaction uh, existence has also become circular. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I was going to say, like, yeah, a rock that, like, them covering Toto is kind of funny and that's how it became the meme. But, uh, yeah, no, it's circular now. Yeah. Also, I said became the meme as if I'm Toki Wartooth. Yeah. Ha. Uh, <laughs> he's not got no good medals to listen to. <laughs> he's the best one. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm, I, I fucking love this record so fucking much. You know, I don't want to sit here and demand that you listen to it just because Bob Mould happens to be gay. I, I don't want this to be like a, a thing that you must listen to it to support gay art. No. But for the season that's in it. <laughs> what I will say is regardless of your sexuality regardless of your expression if you like great rock music or if you just like great music yeah. if you just like great music with a melody you can sing along to with meaningful lyrics for the love of fucking god get this record in your ear holes don't put it in your mouth it's not an edible product it's a bad idea how many uh, how many CDs do you put in your mouth per day Larry that you felt the need to warn people of this well I'm just doing the Lord's work. I'm just, uh, I'm just doing the, okay. doing the sensible thing. Um, putting in a, a nice, a nice considered warning for people to not put CDs and records into their mouths because that is a bad idea. You will not be able to listen to the record, nor you will enjoy the record. If you are hungry, eat food, not records. Well, see, that's where I've been going wrong all these years. Um, so I have a, I have a ranking question for you. Okay. If you had to rank, you know, of these, which is your favourite of items that came into existence in 1992 where I know where you're going with where this. does this album rank in that you're literally trying to make me rank this album against your entire existence aren't you I mean, that's the bit you're trying to do it is the bit I'm trying to do that's the yes. bit you're trying to do I fucking see your lies and your games I see your japes I mean I find it um, I see your trickery I find it unsettling that you didn't immediately just say well obviously you Kate you had to go down this road <laughs> no because it's so fucking transparent I, I don't accept it I don't accept your hypothesis. I'm very amused with myself, so... Would I say this is my favourite record released in 1992? I'd have to think about that for a very, very long time. And frankly, you don't want to listen to me think about it because that's not good audio content. No, I love dead air. You should, you should do that it. That air will be so fucking dead. <laughs> I love dead air on my pads. That's why I listen to pads. It's true. I won't even edit the dead air out. It would just be a blankness for like 10 minutes. <laughs> I suppose a, a serious ranking question. I suppose in terms of like the Bob Mould broader oh, um, universe, where does this oh, where does this live for you? God, that's really hard. I've not listened to every single record he's done, and I include Husker Du in this. I mean, I've listened to the Husker Du records, but what I mean is I've not listened to every single record that he's sure. put his name to. I suppose as the say the primary you know. songwriter. Yeah, 
of the ones you are familiar with? Yeah, this is probably my favourite. It's between this and Sunshine Rock. I like Sunshine Rock a lot as well. That was the first um, uh, like non-Huskadoo bomb yeah. mold thing I've, I ever I heard. like Huskadoo a lot, Yeah, but I prefer Copper Blue by Sugar in every way. I fucking love this record. I love Bob Mould. Listen, the fundamental premise of this is to... I'm not Like I said, we're not here to do like a full-on retrospective of Bob Mould's life and career because that would take hours. But what I would say to you, just listen to Bob Mould, listen to Huskadoo, listen to Sugar. You will have a lovely time. Yeah. You will have a fucking great time. Great summer music. Mm. Yeah, Sunshine Rock's very summery. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I just like that vibe, you know? Yeah. So... Harry'd recommend. Yeah, uh, Dave. Don't if you don't need my recommendation. Dave Grohl's a fucking fanboy. Yeah, and I mean he is the nicest man in rock. And therefore, his opinion is the most important. Yeah. So, here we are. Exactly. All right, I'm gonna leave it there. As I say, listen to Bob Mole. Fucking yes, all day, all fucking day. Not all night though. Sleep is important. Very important for your mental health. Hmm. All right, we'll leave it there. I don't want to witter on to you all. I don't want to witter on. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Would you be so kind as to tell me what you would like to do next time? Yeah, um, let's do the movie, but I'm a cheerleader. All right. We will be doing But I'm a Cheerleader. Thank you very much for listening. Listen to Bob Mould. Goodbye. Bye. You were listening to the Darling Why podcast presented by Louis Tangaridis and Kate Stewart. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to give us a follow at Darling Why Podcast on Instagram. Feel free to rate and subscribe on whatever podcast feed you're listening to. This podcast is produced, edited and put together entirely by Louis Tangaridis and Kate Stewart. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Mm-hmm.